Katie Hosley. I am on Big Commerce's developer relations team. I'm a senior developer advocate, uh, which means I spend a lot of my time working with developers and partners who build on the Big Commerce platform. And I'm super excited today to be talking to Joe Baker, who is the CEO and founder of Shipper HQ. Um, Shipper HQ and Big Commerce have a lot of mu big mutual clients like Solo Stove, Uplift Desk, Bulk Candy Store, Yeti Cycles, and Dippin' Dots. Um, and Shipper HQ is the number one shipping experience management solution in the world. Um, with over 20 years of business experience in technology, Joe has expertise built from dealing with the shipping struggles of many thousands of retailers since 2008. So welcome, Joe. Hey, it's nice to meet you. It's the first time we've met as well. We've seen each other on Twitter a lot. So yes, I know. I know. This is so fun. So I'd love to get kick things off just getting to know, like, what got you onto this journey as a developer and a founder? I know that you studied computer science in the 90s, and I'm curious, were you always interested in tech growing up or, and, and like, what was it like pursuing a computer science degree at the time? Yeah, um, I started coding when I was about nine, so I got a computer in the 80s. I think there was a, there was a portion of people that just did that. And I was one of them that kind of hit that age and computers were just coming out and lucky that parents bought us one and we were all playing for friends. Um, and it really was kind of hand in glove for me of really enjoying it and understanding it. And you just find your thing. And that was my thing. So I did a computer science degree. Um, and yeah, I never really thought about doing much else. So it was, I've grown up with it. I, I can't really remember not having a computer, if that makes sense, which is weird. But uh, I'm very old now. so. It's the, it's the end of the journey is nigh. Oh, hardly, but that's so fun. <laughs> I think it's so cool to hear about people who have just been doing it since they were a kid. Um, I'd love to know about some of your early career experiences. Like how did you forge this career path and were there any mm -hmm. challenges or lessons that were especially formative for you? Yeah. And I think, you know, being a woman in tech as well, you know, like it, it's definitely been interesting. I think one of the nice things I suppose in a way was the fact that, um, you know, I'd spent so much time with a computer before there were any other people around, if that makes sense from a career perspective. So when I went to college, like I was the only girl doing computer science. When I went to uni, there were some other girls doing similar degrees, like information tech, but I was the only one doing a computer science degree. But I just grew up like around men around me and, um, you know, I was still hanging around women socially, but not really in the workplace. And I think in a way that kind of just helped me walk into it. But I always wanted to be a developer and I was always a coder. So I stuck very rigidly to that in my path as I entered my career. So like I did not go for jobs in support. I did not go for jobs in project management or anything like that. I was like, I want to be a developer. This is what I want to do. And they were the only jobs that I applied for. And I think like that was a good thing doing that to just like me take charge of where I, the direction that I went in my career to go um, and holding fast to that because it would have been quite easy for me to go any job in tech but I didn't I, I kind of stuck out and went for that career path and I always took jobs doing that as well so that that kind of brings me to the next question is like so you were so like tenacious like you really wanted to be a coder so when was the transition or how did the transition come about to go from uh, a coder working for someone else to being a founder um, when you founded web shop apps in 2008 yeah well I think like uh so I, work, I used to work for Thomson Reuters in foreign exchange and um, they always were trying to get me to get into management and I'd be like, no, I didn't want to do it. And I think primarily like my reasons were I always knew I could get a job it, it being a developer and an engineer. 
and I was just concerned about being a, being a manager. I just, for whatever reason, was like that working class mentality I wanted to be doing. But I think eventually, I um, two things really. One was the kids come along, and I wanted to spend more time with them, which you know I falsely believed that running my own company would achieve that. And um, and then the second thing was um, the uh, just. Uh, desire to do more like I just got a bit frustrated at the constraints of a workplace and uh, so I wouldn't say that I wanted to go oh I want to be a CEO I just wanted to have a bit more control over my future I think would be the summary of it but I definitely was not sitting there going I want to have a load of staff and create a big company so I think I fell more into that and I still think of myself as a developer even now I'm a very poor CEO (laughs) <laughs> it's so funny. I think so frequently people that don't want to be managers and they resist it so hard end up being really good people managers because uh, they are so good at what they do. Um, so that doesn't surprise me that you would end up making this kind of transition. Um, in relation to web shop apps launching in 2008, um, what was the expansion? I know you opened an office in the US in 2013. Um, what was yeah. the expansion like um, coming into a completely new market? Well, we wasn't. We were selling about 50% of our business was in the US. So when I moved over to the US, the real drivers was the family, you know, like at six in the evening in the UK, um, you know, that all of work would log off. And then I'd be left dealing with like half of the business in the US and I could just see this big demand. And I, I've just been extremely fortunate to meet people along the way that have helped propel what is now Shipper HQ forward, including, you know, in large part, honestly, big commerce um, have, have really helped us uh, you know, on our journey. But um, yeah, it really was about moving because of trying to log off at six and cook dinner. I have a very simple view on stuff. And I think sometimes people do overthink some of, uh, you know, like where they're going and what they're doing. And I'm a big fan of just that simplification down to basics. And I think some of the best innovations and best uh, learnings come from just going, what is right for me and what makes me happy or what makes my team happy? And just focusing on that. I don't ever think stuff. <laughs> I love that you have these, like, you call them simple views, but I think they're just like wise views that have been distilled down over like a lot of experience, but they're so true. Um, things really aren't normally that complicated, or I totally agree with you. They don't have to be so complicated. Um, yeah. kind of circling back to what we you talked about like a few minutes ago about being like kind of like a woman in your computer science um, degree and seeing kind of men at work and women socially. 2008 was still really early for e-com. Um, and so I would imagine there was even fewer women in e-com then than there are now. Um, how did that impact your experience as a founder and a CEO? Yeah, I mean, honestly, in 2008, I thought it was late to the game. So uh, it's interesting that you say that. My husband was a, was a merchant in 2008. And I was like, oh, you know, we've missed it. And now when you look back, you go, it's only just beginning. And I think that's true of us now and something we should remember. But I, I don't know. I think because, you know, like most of my career is around men, like I don't really, I don't, I don't really kind of see the gap, right? I see it more as a, as an older person in the space and now about encouraging the younger generation coming up. But uh, I think like in a way, my ignorance of it has helped me of going, I don't see the, I haven't seen those ceilings uh, when I was younger because to me, they just weren't there. I think, you know, I have become more aware as I've grown the business. But at that point in time, I was very, and I I do think that that's a good thing to be, is to have like tunnel vision, set your own journey, and not worry too much about 
you know, what you can't do, like take control of what you can take control of. And I think I very much have that mindset. And it's like, um, like now I see some of that disparity between women and men and the opportunity and everything else. But I think I lived very much in a kind of, um, you know, what I didn't know didn't affect me environment. And, you know, yeah, like doors weren't opening for me, maybe. But um, I, I was just oblivious to it. You know, like I just carried on and was, you know, I'll trundle over it. You know, I'll take away hurdles. If hurdles are there, I'll take them away. But, you know, you don't you don't see what you don't see, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I feel like it sounds like you were too busy working really hard to notice yeah. um, anything like that, which I think is such like a superpower um, in that context. I think um, I think it comes down to like when you say like, you know, for me, it's like, you know, am I, am I a developer or am I a female developer? No, I'm a, I'm a developer. I'm an engineer. Like, and like, if you put me in the room with people, you'll know within 10 minutes that I'm an engineer. Like, you'll just know. And the female thing goes to one side at that point. Where it becomes a problem, I think, is when we're out externally, like yourself and everybody else, in people trusting our credentials and us being able to be a voice in the room and people wanting to listen to our voice. Because I think that sometimes people can think that we have a weaker voice. Well, we don't. We have as much intelligence and input as anybody else. We may not always talk the same language, but then different cultures don't talk the same language and you know, different groups of people don't talk the same language as it were. We just need to learn to accept that within all groups. And I'm a big kind of advocate for that now because I think it's really, the worst thing I don't like is when people make assumptions about somebody based on what they see, you know, as a, you know, like you should never make any assumption based on what you see. You have to unpick it and go, what is this person about? What do they bring to the table, et cetera, et cetera. And, and now I kind of shut that more and more. It makes me almost want to dress down more because I want to challenge people's perception of what it is to be a CEO, what it is to be an engineer, et cetera. I don't know how you feel about that, but you know, I want to fly in the face of what people think it should look like. I think that's so cool because I do think we focus on so many things when really what we're doing is working and getting work done. Um, like how we look and how we dress is and what gender we are, or what where we're from or what language we speak is like not really that important, even though sometimes it feels really important. Yeah, absolutely. And what's really interesting as well is that you find, you you know, the discrimination goes in all directions. You know, like I've been out with um, you know, women, like incredibly beautiful women, right? And they go out and the amount of discrimination that they come against, you know, even that we had, you know, the other day at a conference and it's just crazy, you know, that we're having that. And then you you get this with men as well. You're getting this, you know, everybody's getting this at all angles. And I, you know, I hear from men over 50, they're struggling to find work and their resumes are just getting written off because of their age and stuff like that. And they still have so much to bring to the table, right? And it's this, um, I just think that we need to, you know, continually um, challenge it, you know, and it's like, um, it, I, I, if somebody says to me, you know, do, you know, do you, do you like being a vegan? I'll say, oh, like, I, well, I like me too. And then, but then I'll say, you know, and they'll say, well, you just eat meat. Well, no, actually, I kind of agree with vegans as well. So, you know, like, I think that we need to, to, to be able to be, to be all these things, you know, and to accept these different things that can live together in harmony, but also respect the differences between them at a simple level. It doesn't mean that you need to belong to all groups, but you can respect and, you know, go and hang out in these different environments and be that, 
you know, and that's, that's to me very important that we need to get to. And I'm not sure people fully embrace that enough that. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you said it perfectly. Um, kind of in this vein, I follow you on Twitter. That's how we've interacted before and on LinkedIn. And I saw your name experiment happen in real time. Um, and for those who haven't seen it or don't know anything about it, would you like to kind of explain what that experiment was and why you did it or why you're doing it? Yeah. So my, my original name is uh, Karen Baker. Um, and last year I kind of, you know, obviously there's a ton of memes and everything and being a leader in tech and being of a certain age, I mean, you know, obviously you're going to, you're going to get it. I don't really care. Right. So, but like, I, it goes down to changing perception. So last year I had on my LinkedIn, Joe, and then in brackets, uh, not Karen Baker. And it, I, I would suggest if you ever want to raise your LinkedIn profile coverage and get more people to talk to you, then just do that because, uh, the amount of people interacting as a result of that was crazy. So it's a great marketing ploy. Um, so you should do that, Katie. Just put Katie, not Karen, sorry, <laughs> in there. So it's just for fun. But it was good to just challenge people and go, well, you know, like, what do you, what do you do this? It's the same thing, you know. But as we entered into this year, what I found was that it, with my kids, it was starting to impact on them, um, like just at school and they were seeing this on media and stuff. And, you know, like you want to just take away these obstacles for children and, um, you know, the last thing you want is them getting stressed out about their mother's name. So, and I think it was really important exercise with the children as well to try and encourage them to, just, not children, but um, you know what I mean, right? To just say, be whatever you want to be, right? Like, um, whatever that is, it's okay. And I think, you know, nowadays with kids, they're really, you know, identity is a really big thing for them. And, you know, for me, just changing my name is just, just about that. But I do think in the workplace, like what I found in the experiment is, much more engagement from the younger male community um, on Twitter. Um, and, um, you know, people now don't necessarily know my gender. And, but the other thing is just the age side of it as well has been interesting. But it has been negatives as well. I think it's like a lot of people now, like reputation-wise, I don't know who I am, but I'm a big believer in kind of being under radar anyway. So I think that, like, that just helps you move a bit more agile. So, yeah, I think it's been – I don't know what you think, but – it's very confusing for people. Yeah. No, I think I thought it was fun. It was fun to watch in real time. You kind of talk about what you were doing. Um, were there any like notable outcomes or differences in your interactions or did you feel like things were kind of the same as they were before? No, it's very different. Like people are treating me very differently, um, especially the younger community. And I'm seeing much my engagement like I would, uh, on Twitter was, was definitely dropping off. And I was like, I even though you know, I am the age I am, I feel like I can still interact with a younger age group. And like, I'm, you know, if you saw me in a bar, I'm a bit of an idiot. So like, um, you know, like I'm, you know, I've still got younger thinking, I think. And like, it's been great to go and be allowed to have those conversations still. And, and also just, um, I'm not trying to like be one of those people that puts loads of advice everywhere. But, you know, it's nice to be able to say to somebody, even when it comes on DM and stuff, and just go, they just come in and they just DM me, what do you think about this, what do you think about that, and give them that advice, whereas I think I was finding that a struggle before. And it's, you know, I don't mind doing that, and I'm not I'm not trying to get anything out of that. Not everything needs to be a transaction. Yeah, I love that. And you uh, absolutely can speak to any audience. I think you're one of the most fun, like, follows on my Twitter. My Twitter is very tech-heavy. Um, and I just like love how you communicate with your audience. Um, and 
speaking of social posts um, and transparency online, you're a huge presence in the developer community. Um, can you talk about the importance of community for developers and how that has and how kind of like community has evolved over the last like decade or so? Yeah, I've, I've done a, a lot of kind of unconferences and hackathons and and stuff like that. And there's a real lack of women going to those. I was highly encouraged that women go along to those because like, honestly, the men are fantastic. They like take me under their wing and look after me. And um, and then it's really just cool to sit with other people and just hack away at code and stuff like that. Um, and I obviously do that less now. Um, I, I, in Germany and Europe are great places to go for that. I would highly recommend it. But the the um, it, it, it's an evolution. I think that with COVID, we've all become a little bit separate again. And I think like there's a real need for us to come back together and to learn together. Um, I do think there's a lot of individual learning that goes on. And it's nice to see some of the stuff that, for instance, e-commerce is doing. Like, I know with Space 48 over in the UK, the initiatives over there. Because we, you can only, you know, it's that whole, you are the average of the five people you most hang out with. You're only going to get so much learning from the people within your company. So what do you what do you do? Do you keep moving company or do you look outside for inspiration? And you're, for instance, on social and you're getting that from those places over there, right, and seeing it. But a lot of people are not, and I think this is where developer relations and people like yourself are really important to bring together people that are not necessarily working together, but then you match your skill set. It's like finding, you know, tennis players of different levels and then bringing them together and then they can play together and they're all raising each other up. And I think that um, I think there's just so much more scope to do so much more, though, especially with, you know, things like Discord and stuff like that. I think that we should be... Um, you know, really doubling down on those types of technologies to do things like, you know, um, live streaming and pair coding and et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's an exciting time for it. I don't know how you see it. I totally agree. I think a couple years of COVID has left people, like people in general, craving community. Um, and I think that especially affects a lot of developers who work independently or like you said, with a group and there's only so much you can you can learn from the same X number of people. Um, and it's funny you mentioned pair programming. I used to be like an agile coach and we would we would harp on pair programming being so great because if you were the stronger developer, you had stuff to learn from the junior. And if you were the junior, you had a lot to learn from the senior. You know, like there's so much knowledge share that can come from any kind of community um, that, yeah, I mean, we really, really believe in it at Big Commerce. And it's fun to see more and more people talk about how they believe in it too and know how important it is. Yeah, I think... I think for commerce as well, it's like, especially now, like in 2023, right? I mean, like we've had it pretty easy, right? And we've all been kind of, you know, pounding at it and also having it easy. But I think like now it's really time to really learn our craft. Like you're seeing this on LinkedIn, the content's getting so much sharper, right? Um, and that could be chat GPT in part, but the content's improving, right? And um, people are starting to really get down to what is my job? And I think that we're going to see on the development side, like there's such an acceleration now in, you know, with the advent of AI, just that alone. And, you know, you see things like Copilot and such like, that I think it's really necessary. And I'm saying to my team that if they don't learn new skills and they don't go out and see what's going on outside, they're naturally going to go backwards because you're not just going to stay still because everything is advancing around you. And so I think the developer community as a whole is uh, there's a real need for it to come together in the commerce space in order to bring new innovation, but also just to keep everybody moving forward and everybody advancing 
with all the te- new technology that's coming in because this is almost like the advent of the internet. It's a massive step change in what's going on at the moment. And it's very hard for any of you to consume that individually. But as a group, you can consume it. And it's about sharing that load between you. And I think that's what uh, community brings to the table and why it's so important we've got people like yourselves. I couldn't have said it better myself. It's like a rising tide raises all ships when everyone is working together. So so this LinkedIn Live, is pro- we're, this is like very merchant facing. Um, and so one question I have for you is like, how should big commerce merchants approach finding and working with developers? And what are some best practices that you adhere to or you think about um, for merchants working with devs? I think like, you know, one of the primary things that comes in is budget, right? Like I've seen a lot of people over the years working with developers, merchants come and talk to me about this and then ask me for advice, you know, who should they work with? Um, if you've got the budget, bringing in an agency stroke SI is by far the, the best thing that you could do. Um, and then, and even within that, like, where are they? So deciding if you want somebody in person that you can go and see in your local state or you want somebody you don't care if they're even in America or England or wherever you are, you know, that kind of stuff plays into it. But I think at the developer level, if you're just looking for small things to be done, and so it really depends on you as the size of the merchant, right? My big thing is just MVP, right? So like minimum viable, like do something small with a developer, build up the trust relationship with them and move from there. I think that would be my advice. I love that. Very simple. Um, do you have any advice for, so that we one more piece of advice question. Do you have any advice for potential entrepreneurs, particularly women or non-binary entrepreneurs or founders um, or developers in these really male dominated spaces? I would say ignore ignore the noise and do your thing, right? Like put your blinkers on, get on with what you're doing. Um, I think it's very easy to uh, spin in indecision or spin in the problem. And you know, the greatest one of the greatest pieces of advice somebody said to me was um, when I was complaining about something, and they said, uh, "Go change it." And and that's what we should all do is like, we should all just go and change it. Um, and we need to advocate for it. Um, that should, but that shouldn't be the something that we do. Like we have to, we have to prove it and walk the walk. And then uh, the more of us that do that, I think the more easy it will get for the rest of us. Ignore the noise and do your thing. I think that is really amazing career advice in general. I like love that. I know that your voice is in rough shape, so I just have two more questions for you. First is, what are you most excited about for the future of e-commerce? Um, I think data is like, everyone talks about data. We've been talking about it for years, data, data, data. I think with the advancement of AI, we're going to just see a whole new level of personalization coming in um, around, you know, and understanding data and understanding that much, much faster. So I think that's going to be really, really important. Um, I just think there's going to be a, just a big step change in how people are shopping online and where they're shopping um, and, you know, the, the kind of uh, composable commerce, headless commerce side of, of what they're doing. And just, uh, you know, you see big commerce move into this. And uh, I just think um, it's going to be really powerful about about where we're shopping and why we're shopping in different places and it all interacting in together. I think experience is just absolutely key and paramount. Absolutely. 
Um, and all right, my final question is, what is next for you and for Shipper HQ? We're working on a lot of stuff. I think like Shipper HQ is a product with Shipper shipping experience and checkout. Just it's just like really powerful that experience. Right? Like Amazon spends so much money on this, right? So people really need to put this into part of their strategy. And we've built this stuff because customers have kept saying, "Can you build this? Can you build that?" And what one of the things that we're working on now is really showing the value of it and showing people where it affects that conversion. And I'm like super excited for that because um, I think like it's just going to be a total no-brainer like of, of what Shipper HQ is about, but also the analysis that people are going to be able to see and being able to fine-tune their shipping experience and us take more control of that for them as opposed to them having to set it up. And so I'm like super, I love new technology and the future and I'm all about it. So um, Shipper HQ is, uh, it, it's moving. The product should never, if a product's not growing, then it's dying. So Shipper HQ is always going to be moving. Well, thank you so much for being with us here today, Joe. I personally got a lot out of this. I hope all of our listeners did too. Um, is there anything you want people listening to check out or to to look at after they leave here? Yeah, I think, you know, um, I say like, I just want to say BigCommerce has been a fantastic partner for us over the years. And I think like, uh, you know, I always say that e-commerce is substance, not hype. I keep saying you guys should do the actual tagline for marketing. But then, um, you know, you guys walk the walk and, uh, we, you know, we've been really proud to have you as partners and like any merchants like looking at the platform. I say it's a solid team. Um, we work with you in Austin and around the world and uh, we, we look forward to um, continuing our partnership together, especially at the developer level. So thanks for having us. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. And thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you on the next LinkedIn live.